You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. As it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I wanted to make it my business to get someone on the show who knows too well all about breast cancer and someone who has gone through it and experienced the struggle that is involved with the illness. As it's something that I'm very passionate about and it's an illness that has affected every family in Ireland in one way or another. In Ireland, one in nine women will develop breast cancer in the course of their lifetime. We have 3,700 new cases of breast cancer diagnosed each year and unfortunately we experience 690 deaths annually. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with myself, Ian O'Connell, is Dublin woman Carly Mahady. Carly was diagnosed with breast cancer at just the age of 24 years old. Sit back and enjoy the show. Carly, come here. Thanks a million for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Not at all. I'm delighted to have a chat with you finally. I feel like we know we of each other so long and we've not had a proper chat yet, so I'm excited. I know we haven't we haven't even met face to face, have we? No, no, not yet. We will do, but not yet. We will, we will. Um, I like to take all my, my my guests kind of back to the, to the start of their childhood and stuff. Growing up, your um, you grew up in Dublin, obviously, and whereabouts did you? And what was your childhood like? And do you have any siblings? Um, I grew up on the north side of Dublin. I'm from Finglas and I have been all my life, still live here now. Um, I grew up in a household with me ma, me dad and me brother. And now I currently just live with me ma, me brother moved out. Um, he lives with his partner. But yeah, it was handy, yeah, growing up. I loved Finglas. I absolutely loved it. I loved um the area and all my little friends and all it was great and I went to school close by and stuff like it was quite a calm childhood I was always mental now I was always mad as a brush my mom said that I came out singing and dancing and I'm still singing and dancing <laughs> you're a guess <laughs> but, um, that's yeah. from where that's where Mrs Brown is from isn't it Yes, yes, that's exactly it. And of course, I'm going to get the story from everybody in as well when you meet someone from Finglas. Now, Brendan O'Carroll, now I know him well. And that's your cousin's auntie's uncle. Did you know that? Like, you're always going to get that off everybody from Finglas. We all have a story. And is it like, um, do you live kind of in a in a state or is it like, what what's it like? Does everybody kind of know each other around? I used to live in an estate um, growing up and then we moved up to like a road. There's lots of older people here. They were like the first houses built in Finglas. So there's lots of older people on my road. They're really sweet. But growing up, I lived in an estate and like mostly everybody would have known each other. Now, it wouldn't be to the extent of like inner city Dublin and like towny life. Like they're all like proper close knit. Like Finglas is good. And people would say, how are you and how are you? And pass each other and have a chat and stuff. But it wouldn't be like wouldn't be overly that way but yeah it was nice at community and what was um what was it like growing up were you into sport or what did you do anything to pass your time <laughs> i done an awful lot to pass me time in i'm not sure it was the right things to pass me time but i done things to pass me time um when i was in school i started i actually started dancing i think before i started school and i don't like little kind of commercial stage skills and stuff. And then I done ballet, 
jazz, hip hop, any sort of dancing that was available or any sort of stage skill and stuff that was available, I would have been involved in. And um, skill plays and stuff. I was just always an Abbey actor and I just always wanted to be the centre of everything. You didn't get recruited so for Mrs. Brown or anything? <laughs> no, unfortunately. Unfortunately not. Do you know what it is, Ian? I never got into, although I done stage skill and stuff, I never got into like the likes of the child modelling or the child acting around. Like I was very standoffish with that. I was more like the singing and dancing and like little shows sort of kind of thing. Yeah. I never really into the more serious side of things. That kind of made me nervous, so I never went for it. But I'm a bit raging now. Look, I'd be looking at me, Bobby, and like, why didn't you butter me to do all them things? I guess. Um, <laughs> and and did you did you have any interest at all in sports? Oh, do you know what? I was always quite athletic, and I never took to like, <laughs> I never took to team sports. I used to do like the camogie summer camps and everything, but I just used to go or everybody, so they had to take me holy up. <laughs> Like I wasn't very well coordinated and like that, I would have played football and skill and basketball. Anything that would have got me out of the skill for a day I was involved in. I was a professional hockey player and all at one stage. I just said mass to get out of skill. Same as myself, I'd be joining the, the basketball team and I wouldn't I wouldn't know basketball from a football. <laughs> I was the exact same. But see, it's great for fellas and skill. You can kind of wing it. Whereas, like, girls' skills to be looking for proper athletes for the team. And let me tell you, I was not one. In my school, um, the same St. Brendan's in Killarney, like, that's kind of, it's kind of like, it's a really sporty school, like the likes of, you obviously, David Clifford, you know, the Kerry footballer. And you're going to kill say me. It, I, know I know what you're going to say, say it. <laughs> what, you was playing for County? No, I thought you were going to say he was beautiful or something. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know a singular thing. Uh, I was going to say something and I'll not say because I might get in trouble. I don't know anything about um ga nor um nor anything like that. The hurling or the ga rat and I know nothing about. I'm a proper dubbing and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're hilarious. I'm so bad. Like, I literally only know about Liverpool because it's East Left and Bread in my house. Like, that's it. Like, that's all that happens in my home is Liverpool. So anything outside of that, you have lost me. I um, was on a night out in Dublin about, oh, it was 2019 when I got diagnosed. I was only over my mastectomy. And Michael D. McCauley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were at some pub. And, of course, I was getting smart with everybody. And I was giving it this, that, and the other. And this fella's go. You're hilarious. Like, I've never met anybody like you before. And all, and all these girls are falling over them. And I'm going, what are these all doing? Like, what are these playing at? And these girls were like, oh, my God, trying to get on them. And I was like, who are you? Like, why do you think you're so important? And everybody was like, Kylie, do you not know that man? I was like, no. <laughs> I haven't a clue, but I, I, I'll go with it anyway. Yeah, I just goes, who, who actually are you? And he was like, oh, I play for Dublin. I was like, oh, very good, you. And then we actually ended up being really good friends. <laughs> really good. He's a good man. He's a good fella, yeah. It's mad the way the way these things happen. You said, um, um, we'll take it back to 2019. Like you said, there you were just after being um diagnosed. When your your life obviously changed completely. Like, you know, you can't even imagine what it was like sitting in the in the doctors. What, would you want to take me back to that time and what was what happened? Yeah, of course. I'll take you back to like the very beginning with that Ian because it's it's quite scatty. So um 
the first time I noticed anything wrong with me chest, it was actually quite early on. I was very naive to it all. I was 16 and um, I got to talking to one of the older girls in school. Uh, she was saying that she had like, our chest was at her, she had like pains in her breasts and stuff. And I was like, well, why would you even be worrying about that? Sure, it's like getting a pain in your arm. I don't see yeah. why you'd be worried. She was like, um, no, Carly, like, have you never heard of like breast cancer? And I was like, of course I've heard of breast cancer. I was like, but that's for older women. And she was like, no, like, I'm sure it's dangerous at any age. And I was like, no, I don't think that young girls could get it. Like, I was just completely naive to it. I so would have been the was, exact same. And I'd say yeah, half the country got, were. There you go. We got no education. Like, even when we got our sexual education in school, like, that wouldn't have been highlighted to the girls or anything yet. Yeah. It was just kind of brushed over because, again, it's considered an older person's um cancer. They never made it. Like, they never highlighted it to us. So after we had this conversation, I was like, Jesus, well, maybe I should go home and just give myself a little check, like, and just see if there's anything there. And with that, I checked um my left breast, and there was, like, a marbled-sized lump, but it was solid, and it moved around under my skin. Yeah. And I remember saying this to me, ma, my mom was like, ah, like, surely that's not, again, like, she wasn't convinced. She was like, can't be out that bad. I was like, no, ma, I'm going to have to say to the doctor. Now, bear in mind, Amy, doctor, God bless him. He was an older man, and he, do you know what? He was a lovely man, but he just shouldn't have been a doctor. Really? He just wandered into the office one day, and I think they left him there. <laughs> he, but he was, he was so nice. But like that, when I had said to him, I was having a problem with my chest, um... Obviously, you have to examine these things. It was, it was like quite an awkward encounter. <laughs> um, he was and was it a Was it the male one that... Because I presume that if it was a, a female going, that it would be a female doctor. So this was me GP. This wasn't the breast clinic that I had went two oh, years ago. Okay. And I only had a male doctor. I actually don't think there was any women in the practice at that stage. But um, like that, I had to have a general check. And... Yeah. Like that, <laughs> I didn't want them to touch me. He didn't want to touch me. Yeah, so it was a very strange exchange. And I, swear, God bless him, and he barely put his finger on me chest and just was like, "That's fine, everything's fine." And I was like, "Oh, I'm not sure it is. Like, I don't know why the lump is there." And he was like, "Look, like you're a teenage girl, your hormones are rampant." He was like, "It could be like milk ducts. It could just be a hormonal change in your chest. Obviously, your chest is changing all the time, cells and stuff." He was like, "I wouldn't say it's anything to worry about." So I wasn't quite satisfied with the answer. But anyway, when you're sixteen, I wasn't gonna go against anybody. I was just like, "Right, okay, fair enough." But in the back of my head, I was like, "Oh God, like I, I don't think that's correct." But we moved on. We kept on going, and that was fine. And then I get like. Not even little pains every now and again, but if I was in the shower and I felt that I'd kind of like be aware of it and I'd be like, oh, like that doesn't feel right. But it wasn't until I, I read started... I read something as well that you were saying if somebody gave you like a tight hug or something, you'd feel it. Yeah. So that was when it came to me. I was like 21, 22 and like that. I started to like experience. I noticed a difference in texture on me right breast at this stage and I was like right okay it's not the left anymore so it was always the problem was with the left and I noticed that on the right hand side of my breast it was after getting really really firm really? like quite hard and I was like well in god's name but it was kind of like a little bit lumpy and then with that I started to experience sharp pains up my right breast and I had never experienced pain on the left one before never gotten any sort of pain at all and noticed kind of that like my skin was getting quite warm around that area and I was like 
that surely can't be right. But because I was so engulfed in being in my early 20s and doing what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to be spending 60 euro on the doctor, I wanted to spend it on drinking nights out. I yeah. just kept sticking it back and sticking it back and going, oh, I'll go next week, I'll go next week. And like, I was in a relationship at the time, and even the person I was, I was like, Carly, will you please go to the doctor? Like, because anytime I like that, get a cuddle or if somebody lay down on the couch beside me and leaned on me, I was jumping. Really? And they were like, you shouldn't be like that. Like, there definitely has to be something wrong. So everything kind of came to a healthy. And I had like, I was suffering really badly with my mental health. And I just kind of woke up one day and I was like, oh God, I need a full service. Like everything just felt wrong in me. So I was with a new GP at this stage and she was a lady doctor. And I had explained past experience with my GP and told her, look, like he barely scanned me he just told me everything was fine and I was like I really don't think everything is fine like so I would like if you wouldn't mind could I have a general check and she done it and she it like, reminds me actually Carly it reminds me just to say in there it reminds me of you know Lindsay Bennett the 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 girl that had the cancer and she she said um when she was clear like they she said that she she knew in her herself that there was something wrong and you spoke a good bit on an interview there I seen about trusting your gut instinct. Wasn't it kind of like her? It, yeah, very, very similar, Ian. And I think um I think you know yourself when something is wrong. And although you don't want to accept yourself, it is in your head. Your yeah. your head, your body and your mind are so connected. And I I did know there was something now bear in mind at very at very first glance, I wouldn't have thought it was breast cancer because it was drilled into my head that was an older women's cancer. So yeah. I knew there was a problem. I just wasn't sure at first that it would be breast cancer. Um, but anyway, the doctor said she she checked me chest. She said, I don't see anything sinister. I don't think there's anything even really to be worrying about. She said, but I'm not going to fob you off the same way the other doctor did. I don't want you to be nervous. So I'm going to refer you on to the breast clinic. And it all went from there. And I think I went in. I went for my first general check, and again, it was a male doctor, but he was a specialist. He was an older man as well. Fantastic. October was it? First of October. That, no, no, that was um, that was in May to no, sorry, that's a lie. I went to the GP in May two thousand and nineteen. I went for my first general. It was six weeks later. Um, so it would have been like the start of July that I went to go to the breast clinic, and I had met the breast specialist. That was the older male. Um doctor and he checked me over in three minutes and he was I knew Ian something was wrong then you just knew in yourself did you do you know what it was it was he was like when he finished checking me up he said to me um now look Carly like we're gonna send you for an ultrasound and I just want you to know that when you go home like Carly Mahadi isn't at the top of my worry list today and I was like yeah that's a very reassuring sentence and you don't reassure people unless you have to yeah. And I was like, so what's this man trying to reassure me of is what I'm thinking. So I, he said he was going to send me on for an ultrasound. He wasn't sure if there was something, but just to double check. But I think he, he knew himself that like there might be something to be looking at. So then you'd I went know, for the ultrasound. Ah, yeah, I knew by his face. And he was he was really like, no, don't be worried. And I was like, that's what you say to people that are worried. Yeah. But um, like that, I got the ultrasound. And during the ultrasound, he and the girl that was doing it, um, was looking at the screen and I I just heard a little and I said oh I was like girl why are you gasping and she was like no I didn't and I was like no you did I heard you and um, she was like I'll be back in a minute 
and she left the room and she came back in with three other doctors. She spotted it. Ah, she came in and they were looking at the screen and they were kind of like tittering and whispering between each other. And then all I heard was, can we get a biopsy for Carly? And of course, me innocent all, I didn't know what a biopsy was. So I was yeah. like, oh, cool. And my ma had been with me up until this point. She had been in the room with me getting the ultrasound. And just as this was happening, my ma's parking ran out. Go away. So she had to go down and renew the parking because you get clamped at the hospital like that. So my ma had to run down and renew the parking. And when she did, they were like, can we get a biopsy for Carly? I didn't know it was a needle. And at that stage, Jane, I was deathly afraid of needles. Like, I was really bad. And it was a big, thick needle. It was horrible. But anyway, they took the biopsies. And they were like, ah, no, it's it's not really on to be worried about. And then I think for about five weeks, I was that was on the Tuesday. I was supposed to get me results on the next Tuesday. And it rolled over each week. And I think it went on for about five or six weeks that they'd ring me on each Tuesday being like... Were you oh. on holidays at that time? Sorry? Were you on holidays or something at that time? This So that was the end. That was the last phone call I would have gotten. So over the six weeks, I kept on getting called on the Tuesdays being like, oh, can you come in? Um, Sorry, next week. It's just we haven't got it back. Like, there's just a bit of a delay in the lab and stuff. And we might be like, oh, another delay? Like... Are you sure? And they were like, No, no, no. There's a delay. We haven't got the sample back or whatever. So that went on six weeks, and then on they kept on ringing my phone to tell me. And then when we were on my holidays, me and my ma went to um Tarnalina's together just because we haven't had a holiday in ages together. We decided to yeah. do something, and um, me ma came up to the hotel room. I was still in bed one in the mornings, and me ma had come in, and she was like, "The breast clinic just called my phone." She's like, "Did they ring you?" And I was like, "No, no, they didn't ring me." And she said, "They usually ring you, but they've rang my phone." Said, um, they said, can we come in on Tuesday? And I said, yeah, to get the results back. And she was like, but well, they said they didn't want to upset you while you were on your holiday. Was or it a very, upset. was it a very uncommon type of cancer? I was, I was reading. Yeah, yeah, it was indeed. So we got back and ended up going to the breast clinic, and obviously that was the fourth of October. That's where you're getting that from. Yeah. Um, the absolute irony of me being diagnosed with breast cancer on the fourth day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Go away. <laughs> it's always, listen, it had to be dramatic. I had to be on the fourth day of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And then I had to be a really extremely rare cancer. So it was breast cancer. It was triple negative, whereas um most breast cancers are hormonal. Being triple negative meant that mine wasn't. So And it, it wasn't inherited like in the family or anything no now saying that um i read something really interesting today just before i popped on to talk to you only five to ten percent of breast cancers are hereditary really i only read it on the breast cancer uh ireland website today and i was like sorry excuse me yeah five to ten percent but my breast cancer was called secretory carcinoma and basically it's considered a childhood cancer yeah it, found in young young like young young children not people of my age so yeah. we're all so confused um and turns out like that there was only two case studies to go off that they'd ever heard of and one was in italy and one was in japan jeez i know it was insane so they didn't really know how my cancer was going to behave although it was the early stages usually they said that the cancer didn't travel and my breast surgeon that I had met, Mr. Barry, is an absolute gentleman. Like, I idolise the man. I always will. Um, he was convinced that he could remove the cancer by giving me the mastectomy. Yeah. 
And whilst um, I was getting the mastectomy, they obviously took um, lymph nodes from under my arm to see if the cancer had spread at all. And although in the other two case studies, the cancer had never spread, mine had. Really? So it was yeah. uncommon and then there was this on top of it. Yeah, yeah. But bear in mind, Ian, like that they didn't really know what they were looking at or they didn't have something to go off. They had two cases which just yeah. by chance my didn't behave the same. So yeah, I, the cancer spread to the lymph nodes in my underarm. So that meant then that I had to go ahead and have chemotherapy and radiation. Whereas we were hoping that I wouldn't have, we were hoping to get all the cancer in the mastectomy. And that wasn't the case at all. We ended up having to go um full back with, with the treatment then. But I knew for, all along, I knew it wouldn't be that simple. For the, the radiation and and chemo. And um, I think a lot of people, and I've spoke to a lot of people about when they were going through chemo, like the hardest bit was losing their their hair. But I, in an interview, I heard you were saying that you actually, you didn't mind losing it when you, when you heard that you could donate to charity or something. Yeah, yeah. So... People think I'm insane still to this day and everybody always laughs at me. They're like, you're not one bit well, Carly. The day that I shaved my head is probably one of my favourite days I've ever had in my whole life. <laughs> That's amazing. It, it's just, it was such a happy day for me and nothing was forced in. Like, I kept on saying to that throughout the day, like, am I this happy because I'm trying to be because I'm trying to block something in my brain? But it was just such a lovely day. I woke up out of bed and my best friend was over from... um. London she was staying with me because I had had a fundraiser a couple of nights before and I knew I was donating my hair when it was gone anyway like I knew that I was getting rid of my hair I wasn't letting it fall out through yeah. the and stuff I knew I wasn't going to let it go that way so um, the fundraiser went great we raised an awful lot of money for Laurelin and for Breast Cancer Ireland I split it between the two and I just woke up on a high one morning and I was like right go and shave my head and everybody was like Carly you don't need to do that yet. And I was like, no, no, I need to do it today. And they were like, well, Carly, you can hold on to your hair for another two weeks. And I was like, no, 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 because if I have it for another two weeks and I keep on looking at it and I keep on attaching myself to it. It might come out itself then. It's not even that, Ian. I wasn't starting treatment until another two weeks. So I had two weeks left with me here. But my issue was, I didn't want to keep sitting looking at myself in the mirror every single day and being like, oh, this is day 19 left with it. This is day 18 left with it. Where I was like, I'm ready to get this off my head now. And if I feel like I'm in control of it and it's my decision, well, then I won't feel so bad for it. Yeah. And like when you were donating it to charity, was that another reason that you weren't uh, upset? That was why, that was the main reason why I knew that it wouldn't hurt me. I was, do you know what? I said all my life as well, and I mean, my used to go ballistic. When I was in school, I always wanted to cut my hair and donate it. And my mom be like, you're not doing it, Carly. I'm sorry. Like, you just cannot do that to yourself. She's like, I won't be able to look at you because obviously my mom had like past experience with cancer in the family and stuff. And she just wasn't ready to look at me like that. And yeah. I understood, you know what I'm saying? So, um... My hair was always down to literally down to me bum in and there's ropes and ropes of it. So it was something I had always wanted to do anyway. So when it came about, I was like, oh my God, like I said before that I'd love to do it. So here's my chance to do it. And yeah, I was delighted that day. I went, I was with my best friends. My best friend got off work. She came down to a salon. My friend that owned the salon closed it and she cut me hair for me. Um, like that. 
her partner's grandmother was there and she was praying with me and everything. She's an absolute lady. I only met her recently again. Like, it was just the loveliest, tight-knit little group and I felt so comfortable. Then we all went for food afterwards. We had a drink. Like, it was just, it was a lovely day surrounded by all the people that I loved and I'll, I'll never see that as a bad day. And I thought then maybe I might wake up the next day and go, oh, Jesus, my hair's gone. I never felt it. That never hit me. How important were friends and family, not just from your treatment and stuff, but from day one to even today? Like, I'll never be able to describe to anybody the love that I felt at that particular time. I always feel love from my friends. They're absolutely amazing. But we're, we're not the most overly emotional bunch with each other. Although I'm quite a deep emotional person, uh, me and my friends wouldn't be like that. So when I got sick, like the hardest nail friends, like the ones with the stiff upper lips and the, the solemn faces, like were the softest in the whole world. And like everybody was just mush and everybody wanted to do everything they could. And they showed so much love and they wanted to be there and they just rallied around me. And I'm not talking about gifts or, or like being overbearing or anything. It was just like, listen, if you need that and give a bell or if there's anything we can do to make it feel better, let us know. We'll just come over and watch a film with you. We'll just go for a walk. Like it was just the willingness to be there more so than actual like, like don't get me wrong, gifts are lovely and, and flowers. The small and things, really. The tiniest stupid stuff. Like you are dropping over like your favourite sweets and just being like, go on, throw something on the telly there and we watch something. Like it was just, it really was so lovely. And then, I think it means meant and means even more to me now as well because we were just at the start of COVID. So all the love that I got for that, I think it was like, well, like the first two months and then I wasn't allowed to see anybody. It was a big change, wasn't it? Oh, it was insane because I was going through this huge shift in my life. It personally, and then everybody in the whole world was going through this huge shift in their life. Yeah. And I couldn't be around the people that I loved and I, I couldn't see everybody that made me feel better. And then you think you feel alone when you have cancer and you're feeling a little bit sick and then you throw COVID on top of it and you really, really have to be alone. Like I had to stay away from my ma and like anybody that was got to deal with us because even when my ma went to the shop, she had to come home and strip herself at the front door in fear of bringing Adam home to me. It was like so careful, like when you were, because like your immune system was probably that bit weaker as well. Yeah, that I could, like, and they just kept on saying, like, Carly, you can't catch a bad cold. Like, you yeah. physically are not in a position to be sick. And because throughout my whole treatment, my neutrophils were really, really low, and that's so dangerous. Whereas some people's level out and they're kind of okay, mine were always really low. So the fear of, like, that catching so much as a cold would have made yeah. me really unwell so yeah it was it was a strange old time but also I'm very thankful that I got sick in the time that I did because I did miss very much yeah yeah what was your um your biggest self-discovery that you found out about yourself like people always ask me how am I so strong and I, I always say I suppose it's only when your only option is to be strong what did you find out about yourself I completely agree with you and what you're saying there. Um, that would have been a huge one for me. And I grew up, um, although I was a little solid thing and I thought I was a hard man and like that, I'd put on this act and stuff. I've always been like a whinger. 
and I've always been like that overly emotional and very high strung when it came to things and I cry over the most ridiculous stuff and um, that's important too because I remember when I was in hospital like and I'd be on life support there that time I a good cry was better than any medication I found oh absolutely and you know what Ian I found out when I was sick right I stopped crying when I was unwell. Yeah. And because I was such a winger beforehand, I, when I got sick, I was like, why was I crying over? All, like, what was I crying over? Like, how in God's name did I sit and whinge because my false nail wouldn't stick on properly and my eyelash didn't look right on me? Why was I crying over these things? So when it came to me crying when I was sick, like you've just said, I cried for a genuine reason and it was a real release. Yeah. It was really, did you find out when you were unwell like that, if you got an overload of emotion, like them cries when you're really at the brink, like they really do relieve you of severe stress. Definitely. A hundred percent. Like I, I just found it took so much of a weight off, off my chest. And I, I'm sure you felt the, the exact same. How did, um, how did you hold up with your mental health through it all? Me, this is going to sound mad as well. And I, do you know what? I always try and articulate myself and it just, it's never going to make sense. I struggled with my mental health in the time I was 16 years of age and it was really bad. And I was diagnosed with depression when I was 16 and I was slapped onto really high meds straight away. Really? Uh, it was, it was just handled awfully back when I was 16 and like the thoughts of mental health and stuff was still really very new when you were a bit of an Abbey actor and people were all very, confused about the whole situation so they didn't really know how to correctly deal with it um and I would have suffered then like that from 16 onward it would have been worse at times definitely I would have dipped in and out and just before I was diagnosed with cancer I was actually out of work on mental health leave I was absolutely probably the lowest I had ever been um yeah ever been in my life at that stage I was 20 four and I was in the depths of depression I had to come out of work I physically couldn't get myself out of bed in the morning and then I got diagnosed with cancer and again it was like somebody just threw a bucket of water over me and washed all my mental health problems away because again I was like things that I were worried I was worrying about now have no significance and mean absolutely nothing to me because all I have to worry about now is getting better yeah and concentrating on something that really matters like me health whereas I was crying over like relationships and crying over being too fat or crying over not looking nice or crying over because uh, maybe this person didn't like me very much. And all of these were factors that had me in such a low place. And now when I got sick, absolutely not one of those things mattered because why would it? You just realised that you were you were fighting for for your life compared to the small things, wasn't it? well this is it Ian. and I and it's so cliche and it's so cheesy but like I always say it the life that I didn't want I was now fighting to keep yeah yeah and it's so true like it was it was just insane like it really really was and I find that although two of us went through like two completely different adversities I feel like me and you would have quite a similar mindset now when it comes to things definitely and like I know from your own Twitter and Instagram and stuff, and you're you're able to have a joke as well about about things like me myself. I was out the weekend, and there I was having a few points, and I I said uh, I'm legless, I won't be able to walk home, 
And I think <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to do that too as well. And do people go wax when you say things like that? Some people do. Like my teacher was going around the class once and they're like, what do you want to be? And doctor and came to me. Then I go as a stand up comedian. He didn't know where to look. that I love see if I met you I mean you'd be carrying on I'd stick two pegs on your wheelchair and we'd be flying around tormenting people it, it, that's it's so important and this is the way it'd be I just think it's so important like that you have to look at the bright side in because I find like in situations like your own and in situations like mine it is really sad to say and I know it's because people everybody's different but some people marry their problems like some people marry cancer some people would marry the situation that you're in and they make their their whole personality and their whole life around being this certain thing yeah and and i not like that everybody deals differently but i think it's such a dangerous place to get to when you're you're so much more than your illness is there is there one thing that you wish you knew before you started your treatment I do you know what Ian? I didn't suffer through it, love. And I really, really didn't suffer through it. Like I was very lucky in a sense that the treatment went really well. And that even I'm trying to think about life-wise as well. Like I didn't really face anything that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Everything came as it was and Again, in a strange, in a really strange way, and I enjoyed my journey because the more hardships that came up and the more hardships I came through, I was so proud of myself for being able for it. And you knew so, that you went through them hard things. And I learned an awful lot about my strength and I impressed myself throughout the whole lot of it. And that's, that's so important. Like, I, I, even anything in life, even during COVID, like, and people that have everything it's you you don't realize what you had what you have until like it becomes the things you had until it's taken away from you essentially yeah like I just I couldn't believe that I was away from people for so long um during the treatment and stuff and I didn't realize how much that affected like my social skills in when I came to being able to see people again and like we were phased back into the real world and stuff like the simplest thing of just looking at your friend sitting in front of you or just hugging someone like it was insane like the thing was just it was like getting better all over again like it was absolutely unbelievable it was like it was like a a a new life the um the same doctor that diagnosed you back in 2019 was it the same doctor that gave you the good news in the end that the treatment had worked so the doctor that um gave me me diagnosis was actually me breast surgeon well he ended up being me breast surgeon I didn't know that day he was going to be um and, and then excuse me the doctor that told me I was cancer free we actually weren't going in for that that day we didn't know we were going in to be told that we I thought I was really going in for a check-up. yeah I thought I was going in for a checkup and then the doctor that actually gave me me news was me oncologist um I didn't spend an awful time an awful lot of time with the oncologist I actually I think I seen her like twice but um she was the person that told me then that I was cancer free 
So I wouldn't have spent an awful lot of time with um, the oncologist, but like that when I went and um, seeing then like me breast health nurse in the breast clinic and me breast surgeon and stuff like it was lovely. They were all so delighted and like that I was me breast surgeon's youngest ever patient. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because you were only, what, 24, 23, 45? 24 diagnosed, yeah. And like that's, that's so young to think about it. Like you said, I, I would have always thought cancer was for older people but like it's not very often that there's people diagnosed at that young age uh, and the only issue with that now is that the girls are getting younger and younger I had a girl message me on Instagram she was 20 years old getting diagnosed with breast cancer that's scary and they're still peddling it off as an older women's disease and this was my whole issue with the lowering the age for breast checks in Ireland like that was what I really campaigned for at the start. I mean, I had to take a step back from it because um, it was really getting in on me. Um, yeah. This time, Senator Lynn Rowan um, went to a hearing in the Senate and there was all different centres um, fighting to have the age lowered for breast checks. And I sat in on that meeting and it broke my heart. Like, it was just like, mm, there's a percentage, but you don't quite need the percentage that we need for us to lower it. So, Sorry. And I was just like, oh, my days. Like, I can't keep on banging on doors if this is going to keep on happening because it was breaking my heart. Yeah. And it, it really did dishearten me. And I just had to take a step back. And as well, when you don't have cancer anymore, and this is how I feel particularly at the minute, when you keep on harping on when you're out the other side. Like, I don't want to capitalize off having cancer. And having breast cancer isn't the only trait in my personality. Like, Absolutely. It was it's it's not who I am. It was a part of my life for a short stint of time, thankfully. But that's not all I am. And I don't want to keep on kicking that horse either. Like, I'm moving on with my life. And I don't want people to just only associate me with having breast cancer. Yeah. So I think people get a little bit frustrated in the sense that they're like, well, you don't advocate as much anymore. And I'm like, do you know what it is? I don't want people to think that I'm trying to keep myself relevant by playing the cancer card all the time. To finish up. Breast Cancer Awareness Month, obviously, the statistics on breast cancer in Ireland are, are staggering and it's, it's it's scary to see. Like you said, it's getting more into to young people. For for people out there, like you said, it takes two, three minutes to, to check yourself in the shower or whatever way you, you do check them for, for, for people. What would be your final message to the listeners out there? Just to not be naive enough to think that it'll never be you because I was the exact same. I would have paid no heed to anything like this before in my life um, because I'd be like, oh, sure, it wouldn't be me. Like, you, ne- you never think it's going to be you until it is you and until it knocks on your door. So like that, if something as little as two to three minutes um, doesn't have to be every day. Like that, if, if you do it at least once or twice a month, like that's perfect. Just whilst you're getting changed, whilst you're in the shower, take the time to just give your chest a check like that it's just preventative if you find something people often say to people Carly what if it is something and I'll say well if it is something you're after recognizing that and now if it is you can stop it in its tracks and you can treat it rather than if it is something ignoring it and it progressing so there's no matter what the outcome will always be positive it might not seem that way but it will always be positive in the fact that you are going to help yourself and also males need to check their chests too because it is possible for males to get breast cancer although it is a lower percentage of people that are diagnosed with it of men that are diagnosed with it 
um, it's still quite possible to happen. And I do still now when I go to the breast clinic, see men waiting in the waiting room. So just to remind men that it's also really important to look after themselves in that sense as well. Carly, thanks so much for coming on today. And I really, no, really appreciate it. And, and I'm delighted that you're able to, to share your story, especially when it's, um, when it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Thank you so much for giving me the uh, opportunity to like that. I've been quite anxious lately, especially when it comes to Breast Cancer Awareness Month for said reasons. Um, I didn't, sometimes I don't really know whether it's the right time for me to share, but I've come to the realisation that it's always going to be important for me to share because everybody's story is important. And like I said, if anybody can help anyone, it's always worth talking about. So thank you so much, my love, for bringing me on. I really enjoyed it. Now, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show as much as I did. If you have any questions or requests for next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. Stay tuned in to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up after this. I hope you're all having a great week, and I'm looking forward to the weekend myself. A few different football matches on, and... You've the, the soccer games, Premier League is back in, in full swing and Liverpool are losing, which is a, a great thing as myself for a United fan to say, but we won't jinx it. We'll, we'll keep, keep the head up and keep marching on. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8 p.m. here on Radio Kerry 103.7.